Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to give feedback on five of your teasers on this month's session of Paper Tease. And uh, do you mind reminding our audience what Paper Tease is? Yeah, so Paper Tease is our ongoing segment where we review your TV teasers of up to eight pages, any genre, any format. By format, we mean, you know, TV format, procedural, etc. We don't mean that you can send it in scrawled on a napkin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we are looking at the teaser and the cold open only, so it shouldn't be the first eight pages of a featured script or just of your script. It needs to be formatted as a teaser. But we will give you feedback on air, and then down the line, we will perhaps be choosing a new mentor for this year or some other cool reward all for free because you're just sending it in. Absolutely. And as always, we begin with our dedicated Patreon slot. If you are a Patreon subscriber, you know that every session we have at least one, if not two, of our teasers that we review on this podcast that are entirely yours. So then let's begin with The Barcode Diaries by Alyssa Rivas. And in The Barcode Diaries, Grace Rhodes wakes up hogtie to a chair and manages to slip her blindfold off. She sees a Dr. Weissman who asks her how she is. Grace responds that she just watched Weissman's people butcher her neighbors, that her daughter is missing and her mother is dead. Weissman continues questioning her about how she ended up here, what her story is, because she needs to make an assessment about where Grace belongs in this new world. She asks once more how she ended up here and Grace responds, the day the job market collapsed, her life went to hell. What did you think of the Barco Diaries? To me, it almost felt a little bit more like a situation rather than a sequence of story that you would find in a teaser. So it didn't feel like there was, you know, as much to go on as I had first hoped. Yeah, I definitely agree in the sense of even though, like you said, it's, a, it's kind of a situation where it felt a bit abstract. We were put in the shoes of grace, but not really. That's actually my biggest uh, a note I would have on, on this scene is if you want to do a sequence where we're basically in the shoes of the main character and the character doesn't know where they are, we need to be living that scene from that perspective. And as it stands, the teaser kind of was written as this third person point of view that kind of lists what is going on, but misses the emotion of Grace, for example, being panicky. At one point in the teaser, uh, the pro says uh, Grace doesn't cry anymore. She just takes it. But I don't believe at any point before that Grace was really crying. There were moments where I was really clamoring for more emotions from Grace. I want to be in her shoes when she's hawk-tied naked. I mean, that sounds horrible. Well, I don't really want to live that, but if I'm, you know, in that scene living it, I want to be living it in the shoes of grace. And the other big, big element that I want to highlight is that we are behind even grace on what she knows and doesn't know. And if you're putting the reader in the context where you don't know what is going on, you need to at least be on the same level as the protagonist or as the person living through it. Lost is a classic example with a, a Jack, but in this case, we're behind even Grace since she seems to already know who Dr. Weissman is, or at least she knows that major stuff has uh, gone down with her life uh, moments before, which again, she lists on page one, but we don't really understand sort of emotionally where she's at, as opposed to just a kidnap victim being like, wait, what, what's going on? I don't understand why I'm being kidnapped. Here, it does seem like she sort of knows the context that we, as a, a reader, or an audience member don't really have. Yeah, it kind of feels like we've missed something and this is a part of another scene rather than it being like a big bunch of mystery or something that's intriguing to us. It's almost more confused like, oh wait, you know, are we missing a page here or something like that? And, and in fact, the information that we do get 
it feels a little bit expositiony to me at times. You know, it comes out in the dialogue about how our whole family's been killed and people are missing. I would rather see that to make it more exciting, even in a flashback or something, than just being told about it here. Yeah, I definitely concur about what you said about missing a scene that is definitely the level of confusion that you don't necessarily want to replicate in the teaser. And to your point about seeing things, I feel like there's ways of making the scene a bit more dynamic. The bad pitch would be, for example, if Dr. Weissman asks, why are you here? Do you know why you're here? And then we see little flashes of moments of Grace reliving through the traumatic events that she talks about, as opposed to just her listing those moments without any emotion. Now, in terms of the, the pros and sort of putting us in the shoes of Grace, I will mention that uh, we did an episode that was PT156 called the TV Pros 201 Breaking Rules, where we really tackled a lot of the meta pros elements where you can put us in the shoes of someone who doesn't understand what's going on in a very active way, while still maintaining an element of mystery and interest and momentum. I gave specifically the example of the movie The Hunt, which will, I guess, uh, never be released. That was the movie that was written by Eamon Lindelof. Oh, they are releasing it now. They are releasing? Yeah, they put it back on the slate. Well, there you go. Now you can tune in to see that movie, but I definitely recommend people read the script itself. That script broke a lot of sort of the meta prose rules, but I do feel it's still a good example of using the techniques of putting yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't understand what's going on and still telling the story in an effective way. Yeah, I think in scenes like this, you want to think about what is the game of the scene? What is the game of the interrogation? What is the power dynamic between the two? Uh, How are we pushing it forward in a narrative way? What is going on here? How do things escalate? And if the game is that Dr. Weissman is trying to get some piece of information that she needs out of Grace and Grace is really trying not to give it to her, then, you know, you can use some of those meta elements to be, you know, like you were saying earlier, Alex, she's like, why are you here? And then we see the flashes of people being killed, you know, her doing badass stuff, whatever it is that she's doing. And then Grace is just like, I'm not sure. I just woke up here, you know, and that, that kind of then puts layers into it where she does know more than she's letting on and that sort of thing. So think about, you know, what's the dynamic you're going for here? Absolutely. And even if we're doing the devil's advocate of, okay, let's just presume for a second that that's going to be the scene. The scene is this person is hogtied to the chair and there's this doctor uh, asking her a bunch of questions. You can still make the scene active and, and specifically the character active. Uh, the obvious example is the character that's uh, kidnapped and trying to find a way out of the scene by looking around and trying to find uh, escape tools or something like that. There's ways of uh, adding some kind of dynamic and momentum to the scene that is currently missing, I feel like, beyond just the emotion that we highlighted. And I feel like there's a lot of opportunities here as well. It's not just negative content that we're giving. It's more so a lot of semi-missed opportunities that could be heightened in that scene and helping us get a little bit more context. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it has a lot of potential. It's just a matter of finding uh, what it is you want to do with it and then choosing the best kind of tools for that job. Did we have any micro notes on the page? Uh, yeah, I had a really a, a tiny, this is a, again, micro notes, but the first page at least had a couple of spacing issues. I noticed at the bottom of page one, when it says Grace spits on Dr. Weissman, there's a space missing. And similarly, about midway through that page, there's an extra line break between a Grace silent doesn't blink but glare and uh, Dr. Weissman's quote. Again, this is a small thing, but it's page one. So something to keep in mind. Yeah, totally. It might not seem like that matters too much, but if uh, this is an agent or a showrunner or someone reading it and on the first page, there's typos or formatting issues, they might just be so busy that they put the script down. So it's always important to note that. And on that note, what makes us want to read on versus not? 
I mean, this is obviously sort of a high stakes situation. And uh, we're curious to know a how she got here and b how she's going to get out of it. But I think that for us to want to be flipping over to that next page, it is just what we we're talking about before in terms of uh, heightening the game of the scene, finding out what's going on there. And then leading us into, like you said, like, what's the active goal here? Is she trying to escape? Is she trying to get some information out of her, etc., to get the momentum to push us forward? Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, just in terms of helping us understand what is going on and just putting us through what Grace is going through, just the uh, mere act of emotionally living that scene through her perspective would definitely highlight and heighten what is going on in the scene in a way that is currently absent. And our next Patreon slot is Nudge by David Crossman. So in Nudge, on a sidewalk, we find Daria using a sign to advertise a tattoo shop. Her co-worker and her witness a homeless person being harassed by Mindy, a baker across the street who's throwing muffins at the homeless man. Daria intervenes and stops the altercation, in part by driving Mindy away with insults. Daria later bikes to her boyfriend's place, where he confronts her about cheating on him. He slams the door in her face. Daria ends up at a bar during karaoke night, where she steals someone else's place in line for a song. Someone in the crowd named Argleboggle joins in on the song before Daria rushes to the bathroom feeling sick. There she finds Argle Bargle again, who reveals he's a five-dimensional cosmic being who dwells on the four temporal paths. He wants to partner up with Daria to nudge humanity back on the right path, just like she did with the homeless person earlier. And the first person they need to help is actually Mindy, the baker. What did you think of Nudge, Alex? So I thought the concept was interesting. It kind of reminded me of the TV show, My Name is Earl. I don't know if you have ever seen that show. Oh yeah, I love that show. So that was for our listeners who may not know what the show is. It was a half hour show on uh, NBC about uh, 15 years ago now. I feel old with uh, Jason Lee. And the conceit was that it was sort of like this, like never do well who wins money at a lottery. And he sort of decides to right all the wrongs from his past with this like karma realization of uh, doing good in the world and correcting his past negative behaviors. And the reason why I mention this is because the basic concept of, at least implied a concept of the show, is this uh, cosmic being is going to partner up with this potentially not very good person to help humanity go on the right path. And I actually like that concept. I feel like the execution here is interesting. There's a few, I feel like, missed opportunities in the sense of I just wanted that whole sequence to be tightened. There are a lot of characters that are being thrown at us for no particular reason with no immediate payoff. Uh, because essentially, structurally speaking, you can just do the thing of introduce this person correcting a bad behavior, then we see that person's life sucks, and then they stumble upon this cosmic being who tells them, hey, we need to help humanity on the right path. And that's kind of all you need as an opener to really execute the vision of what you're trying to accomplish, as opposed to sort of adding a bunch of context with other characters that don't necessarily play into that concept immediately. Yeah, I agree. I think you can save some of this stuff for the first act. And that was one of my notes too, is I just felt that like, it could have been tighter and, and gotten to the point a little bit faster. However, you know, that said, like you were saying, I also really love a show with a good, clear engine. And this is one of those. It's a really fun thing to just know exactly this is what we're going to get each week. And this is why this kind of character has to do this kind of thing in order to change and be a better person and help the world. I think that's a really nice, clear setup. It would just be helped along even more by uh, getting to that point a little bit cleaner. In terms of Argle Bargle, <laughs> uh, he's a very interesting kind of weird little character. And it's almost so random. And I know that that's the point. But that it feels a little bit out of nowhere. And again, I know that that is part of the intention. However, I think that there are some things you could be doing earlier on to set up this mystical being or this, you know, thing suddenly coming out of nowhere. I don't know exactly what that is, but there's definitely ways that you could seed in 
her being watched or a little flash of something off in a corner or seeing something on a TV, you know, whatever it happens to be, just like some little hint that like this cosmic dimensional creature isn't just suddenly showing up in karaoke and it feels like a strange shock to us. Absolutely. Especially because we spent so much time with Daria in her life that there's ways of tweaking the situations to give us a hint that something else is going on. Just to go back to My Name is Earl, the funny opener was in part because he won the lottery and so he lost the ticket. And so we sort of see his journey losing the $100,000 lottery ticket and then regaining it. And through that process, he has this karmic realization about helping people. And obviously that's not what Daria has. However, that's what Argle Bargle can bring to the table. Now, I will also mention a few bumps I had in terms of the characters and especially the way they behaved. I felt was a bit cartoony. I'm unclear as of now if this is supposed to be a one hour or a half hour. But when I look at some of the ways the characters behave or don't behave, I just was uh, taken aback. So for example, the way Mindy behaves is a bit over the top. Uh, just the fact that uh, just a random person would throw muffins at a homeless person, that's obviously uh, assault. And then uh, she says, well, I never, and, and clutches sort of like her imaginary uh, pearls. In that moment, I didn't know if it was meant to be sort of this like on the nose comedy moment, like, again, my name is Earl, or if it was all supposed to be played a little bit straighter, especially because I feel like the moments with Daria are still a bit straight, except for the the karaoke moment. But overall, I just thought it was a dry, witty sense of humor, as opposed to just like this over-the-top cartoony, you know, like the honking, censoring the, the curse words. That was another moment was like, what kind of reality am I in right now? I was definitely reading this as a half hour comedy all the way along. And in fact, I kind of liked some of those moments, especially like the honking, censoring the curse words that, you know, the paying him to be a sign waving teacher and just spinning the sign around. I think that that to me communicated the tone of a slightly heightened comedy. And then this weird alien creature suddenly showing up, I think really confirmed that, you know, yeah. so I don't think I was ever trying to read it straight. So maybe that was just a difference of approach. Perhaps. I mean, again, the fact that we spend uh, two pages on this banter about a uh, sign turning, like this is in the Joker. So there's no reason to have a sequence about advertising a tattoo shop. I just feel like there's ways of tightening it. If it is actually a half hour, in that case, I really wanted every scene to pop and be a lot more punchy in its joke and in its delivery. And right now, I feel like it was kind of like this middle ground. Another example would be the scene where she confronts her boyfriend slash a booty call. I'm not sure. I wasn't clear if that dialogue was meant sarcastic. It's the kind of character that has a very dry sense of humor. You could read it as sort of like them bettering around about, hi, hey, I definitely cheated on you, blah, blah, blah. It's sort of like this banter between two people who really cared about each other. And then it's actually, wait, this is actually played straight. This is actually what is happening. She actually cheated on him and so forth. So there's ways of delineating those sequences that live in one reality clearly. And to me, that was the sort of like the bump I had. The honking and the cartoony moments didn't really mesh with the seriousness of, hey, actually, I basically cheated on you and sort of like that dramatic reality. Yeah, for sure. I agree. I think that like all of this is tied back to the teaser being a little bit more bloated than it could be. And then it kind of obfuscates everything, whether it is the setup of the story, but and also just the tone of the show. I think if you can pull it in and make it tighter and then communicate each of those pieces much more clearly, then we're going to come in with better expectations about what this show is going to be. Any micro notes on the page for Nudge? 
Yeah, I, I did have a couple on uh, page one. I would watch out for the capitalization of names. We have Enrique already capitalized at the top when he's being introduced, but at the bottom of uh, that page, we again have Enrique being capitalized for no particular reason. There's a couple of other typos I noticed on page two. It says that Daria run over as opposed to Daria runs over. And the big micro note I would definitely highlight is the one around page six, where I would clarify the logistics of Argle Bargle and when he appears and pops into places, specifically the scene where we transition from the bathroom to the toilet stall. The next scene is obviously Argle Bargle being on the toilet tank, but I would just want to emphasize that he just appeared there. Otherwise, we might think we missed a beat where he somehow maneuvered his way into the toilet stall because obviously at that point, we don't know that he's some kind of cosmic being. We just think he's a character. So just watching out for those logistical bumps. And what makes us want to read on versus not? For me, it comes down to tightening overall what is going on. I feel like there's a lot of characters that are superfluous to this teaser, like Enrique or even the boyfriend. Those are interesting sequences in the life of moments, but they don't really service the urgent need of the teaser or the opener, which is basically seeing Daria being a terrible person, seeing Daria help someone, and then seeing this uh, cosmic being accost Daria saying, hey, we need to help people. So just having those elements and making those scenes a little bit punchier than they are and uh, tonally and emotionally, I feel like would definitely deliver this teaser on another level. Yeah, I think the crux of this whole teaser is Argo Bargle showing up and offering this potential to redeem herself and humanity. And then all we really need for that to work is to have seen that she's a bad person. So focusing everything around that, making it a lot tighter and just getting that set up nice and clean and clear and understanding what our tone is and what's the momentum pushing us forward there, I think will really help to making people want to just read the rest of the script. And as a reminder, both Alyssa and David's teasers uh, were submitted through our Patreon slot, which is guaranteed. If you are a Patreon member, you submit your stuff, you will eventually get read in our slot there. So you can do that by going over to uh, paperteam.co slash Patreon and signing up to support the podcast. All right. And the next teaser is Uncommon Grounds by Mitch Bechtold. And in Uncommon Grounds, we find Gabby 30s, a Portland pixie girl behind a counter working at a coffee shop. In her head, she goes around the room, psychoanalyzing her customers by the type of coffee they drink, espresso, triple espresso, Americano, etc. Joe Americano approaches and buys a drink, Sally flirting with her. Later, as she finishes up her shift, he offers to buy her dinner. We start to hear Joe's thoughts as well as he psychoanalyzes Gabby, trying to figure out the type of person she is. They head back to her place for her to change, and as he looks around the apartment, he finds a man's watch covered in blood. Having second thoughts, he tries to call the date off, only to be knocked out by Gabby holding a rolling pin and wearing a white plastic apron. She creepily chides that they have so many fun activities planned together. What do you think of Uncommon Grounds? I think it was an interesting concept. It kind of reminded me of like a mashup of the show You with a little bit of like Dexter in there. And I think it was quite well written on the page. I like the descriptions and the visuals. But something about it felt a little bit caught up in the artifice of hearing people's thoughts and trying to trick the audience in this game, perhaps at the cost of the story a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because the concept itself is interesting. It reminded me more so of like American Psycho and a bit of Fight Club with the Tyler Durden thing earlier on. But like you, I just feel like the execution of the concept was more interesting than its ultimate outcome because we spent a lot of time 
in these people's minds, psychoanalyzing uh, little things like the drinks or the apartment with no real immediate payoff, except for the last part with Joe and obviously Joe being uh, injured at the end, if not killed, that right. But this is another example in my mind of something that could be tightened overall. We don't need to be spending a lot of pages on Gabby psychoanalyzing everyone's coffee orders. We kind of get that within a page, maybe two at most. There's ways also of making things less ambiguous in terms of the concept itself. For example, we can clarify from the get-go that we're watching all of this from inside Gabby's head or eyes. Otherwise, we kind of just hear Gabby's thoughts and we're kind of unclear, especially in the first page and a half, what is going on. We obviously understand because it's titled uh, Gabby's Thoughts that we are hearing her thoughts, but it's not clear, at least in the prose, that we're just watching things literally from her perspective. And even just having a line saying, we're watching this from someone's POV, or as she watches Black Coffee, we hear her thoughts, or we hear a voice coming from her mind. And then later we can say, we finally see the person whose thoughts we've been hearing. Something like that, that highlights the fact that this is all through this person's mind, it would definitely help with the read overall. Yeah, I think that that device of playing with whose POV it is, and who is the real protagonist, and who are we going to follow while it perhaps works on a teaser level, it almost subtracts from us being able to immerse into the the TV show itself and understand what's going on. Like in a way, this almost felt to me more like a short story or a short film that wrapped itself up a little bit too completely. And I don't really know what's going to happen next. Like, are we just following Gabby as she's a serial killer who kind of like lures men in? Like, how is that a show? Why are we interested in that? All of that sort of thing. Right. And, and the fact that the thoughts get switched over to Jill about halfway through also complicates that issue because the prose once again needs to naturally lead the reader to understand that we're switching to Joe but also the story needs to organically make a reason for why we're switching to Joe I feel like if it is a teaser whose goal is just to subvert expectations that it's like this nice coffee lady killing this guy you got to pick whether you want to see things through from Gabby's point of view or Joe's point of view and then sort of go all in on that but I would also argue that I don't know if you really need to subvert expectations on that level in the sense of, hey, this nice pixie Portland girl is actually a psycho killer. But if that's sort of like the game of the scene, I would just suggest that we just want to live through one of that person's perspective, whether that's Gabby's or Joe, if sort of the goal is to just to subvert expectations of Joe, a.k.a us. Yeah, I don't really know what having Joe's thoughts does for us here in this teaser, other than confusing us about who the protagonist is, you know, whether that's intentional or not, because you already, like you said, Alex, have that kind of surprise reversal that like, oh, she's the one who's the serial killer, not this guy. So you've already got one game going at one level there where it's like, she's worried he might be a serial killer. It turns out she's a serial killer. You don't need to then introduce this like, well, who are we really following here, Joe or Gabby? On top of that, it feels a little bit like a hat on a hand. It's just a little kind of confusing for the sake of the teaser and you know it doesn't give us a real sense of what the show is going to be after this yeah and i will say that if the goal is to use this concept of having this internal monologue to not necessarily confuse the audience but at least to add a layer to the character then i want that to be used practically in the story so like a basic example would be someone thinking something and saying something completely different that would be one way of using that device in a unique way that shows that hey this is actually 
a character that's being devious, or we sort of see slowly but surely that Gabby is thinking something like a serial killer, and then she says something that's a bit like a serial killer, or she pretends to be this like shy girl, which I think there's a lot of elements there that can be played with. Just the fact that she appears uh, outwardly to be uh, blurting out uh, words or being embarrassed about the things she says to Joe, but in her mind, she could be a little bit more calculating. So I kind of wanted those things to be more highlighted if we are, again, using Using this monologue thought process. Yeah, it's definitely a Chekhov's gun situation where if you are using this inner monologue, it has to pay off, like you said. Now, Joe's thoughts uh, and his psychoanalysis of her looking around her apartment had directly led him to make some sort of conclusion that the average person wouldn't make, like, huh, strange that she wears this particular brand of shoes when that's more of a work boot and this is blah, 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 you know, pieced it together in his head. And then that's what, you know, tips him off to like, you know what, maybe this is a bad idea, I should get out of here. Then I think that we would have a reason for all of this monologue and analysis. But instead, he finds a watch covered in blood, which any person would see and freak out and want to leave. So, I, you know, I think that that's where the disconnect is happening. Yeah. In terms of a similar scene to look at, since I brought up American Psycho, I definitely recommend reading the script and specifically the scene between uh, Patrick Bateman's character and I think Paul Allen was the name of uh, Jared Leto's character who gets killed in Patrick Bateman's place with uh, sort of the, the classic axe moment. I definitely feel like that's a scene that emotionally, even though the protagonist is this sociopathic killer and we are listening to his monologue and, and all that stuff, I feel like that's a sort of like a very well executed scene that's akin to what uh, this teaser is trying to do. It's not to say that this teaser is badly written. I feel like it does pull off a lot of good things. It's more so in terms of heightening and tightening what we want from it overall. Did you have any micro notes on the page for this one? Yeah, I mean, my biggest sort of micro note is that I want the thoughts to be labeled as voiceover because presumably they are voiceover. None of them are labeled as VO as such. And so that's definitely something that I mentioned even before, just the fact that on the prose level, we need to understand and clarify that this is these thoughts are coming from the same person that we are seeing things through and that this is all from someone's point of view specifically. Yeah, I think the technically correct way to do that would be to, you know, Gabby brackets VO rather than, you know, basically seeing a new character of Gabby's thoughts. It could be Gabby parentheses VO her thoughts or something like that to delineate the fact that this is third thoughts, but at least indicating that this is voiceover and not someone talking out loud is important. And so what makes us want to read on versus not? I mean, again, for me, I think this is something I bring up all the time with the teasers. It is about that sense of momentum. You know, it's, it's always a balancing act between having a really cool self-contained sequence in a teaser and then also something that is leaving some threads open to push us into the rest of the show and make us want to read on. And here, I think it feels a little bit too resolved to the point where this could have been a, a vignette before we cut back to the cop precinct and it's actually a detective show. You know, like I want to see what those connecting threads are between the teaser and the rest of the show and a sense of momentum pushing me in into what the rest of that's going to be. And I want to kind of know what the rest of that is going to be. Yeah, I'm big on both momentum, but also the point of the scene and tightening things around that. If the point of the scene is to subvert people's expectations, you know, that's sort of like the last dread, I think. Sometimes subverting people's expectations, there's no point of that being a goal. It needs to still service something beyond that trickery. And the concept itself, I really enjoy. I feel like there's something there to the idea of listening to someone's thoughts as they're psychoanalyzing people around the room. And then we slowly reveal 
reveal that this person is a sociopath or there's something different. I'm a huge fan of American Psycho and Fight Club, so I feel like there's a lot to play there. But on the execution side, I feel like there are some elements missing to achieve that goal of not just subverting people's expectations, but sort of the emotional outcome of what Gabby's doing and sort of killing Joe in that sequence. Yeah. And lastly, I would say if you haven't seen the TV show, you definitely check that out because there's a lot of similar elements here with the internal monologue, with the sort of killer stuff, and the character's name is even Joe. So there will be comparisons drawn to this if you send it to people as a sample or send it out for pitching. So just make sure you're aware of the differences and the similarities. And uh, let's move on to our next teaser. All right, the next one is The Squire by Vivek Chaudhry. So in The Squire, in a magical forest, we meet the prototypical hero knight Sir Ryan and his scrawny sidekick Squire Simon. Simon is shadowing Ryan as he prepares to hunt and kill a golem. The pair runs into a dryad who fawns over Ryan as he uh, drinks some alcohol in preparation for the monster killing. As they get deeper into the forest, they bump against fairies and a gremlin until they end up reaching a cave. Simon hands Ryan an axe and pulls out a medallion to summon from a cave the stone golem to be slayed. As Ryan approaches the golem ready to strike it down, the golem smushes Ryan in one move. Shocked, Simon tries to find his own courage, but then faints, and the golem walks away. What do we think of this, Alex? Well, this actually kind of reminded me, there was this teaser that we mentioned a few months back that was similar with a similar sort of like fantasy element that ended in the wizard getting crushed by a stone golem of some sort. So it was kind of a funny deja vu moment. Overall, I feel like it was a bit of a long walk for a short drink of water in the sense that the teaser is to build up the expectation that Sir Ryan is this amazing knight. And then the twist is actually he just gets flopped in five seconds by the stone golem and the squire is the real hero of the story. Overall, I feel like there's ways, again, of tightening. I, I keep repeating my, this This could be called the Paper Tease of Titan. That's going to be the, <laughs> the episode title. But just overall, I feel like there's ways of using the elements of the forest for practical reasons. As of now, a lot of the creatures they even run into in that teaser didn't really serve any purposes. For example, the dryad watching them outside of being this like sex object, I didn't feel served any purpose for the story. Same thing for the gremlin. The fairies were a little bit funnier, I suppose, but practically speaking in terms of the narrative, it was sort of an excuse to bump into a bunch of creatures because we're in a magical forest, but serviced not much practical purposes narratively or or even emotionally. Yeah, I think those were really just there for world building, but there is definitely a way to tie that in narratively. For example, if Sir Ryan needed to go and get some fairy dust so he could be all hopped up before his fight and he needed to go and be rejuvenated by a dryad's potion or how you know get some sort of sword from somewhere, whatever, and that's how we're meeting each of these mystical creatures and expanding this world and understanding those things, then at least it feels like it's kind of led up to this moment and we're helping build and heighten to them. So in general, I think this is a good setup for a series. You know, it's a good way to end a teaser it did feel a little bit like we had seen it before because you know we'd had a teaser like this and i feel like i've read stuff like this before where it's building up to this big hero and of course he's going to get killed and the squire's going to take over because the show is called the squire but you know i think that's fine in and of itself as long as you then do something with that so in terms of leading us into the rest of the show i'm totally fine with that setup as long as you're kind of elevating it and making it feel fresh and new and original yeah i mean for me world building is to service some kind of purpose especially if we're introducing new characters they need to be active on some level 
And this teaser, I do feel even though the characters themselves were funny and interesting, uh, a lot of the creatures, for example, were passive. Obviously, the dryads were an example, but uh, even though I get that the gag is that he's sort of this buff guy who gets trampled in a matter of seconds, the buildup should still service either sort of the teaser itself or the world at large. And a lot of it, I personally felt, didn't really add any extra dimension to the teaser since the creatures we meet are irrelevant to the action at hand. I feel like that's where I would just tweak things and either cut out some of the creatures or at least make them relevant to the action or the fact that they have to slay this golem at the end of a teaser. Yeah, and I think that what you can also be doing is given that Ryan is about to die and we're going to spend the rest of this entire show with Simon is you can be using some of those opportunities to reflect on his character and tell us more about him other than he feels incompetent and unmanly compared to Ryan. You know, I want to know why is he interesting? Why are we on his side? Why do we like Simon or not like him, but find him compelling enough to want to watch the rest of this whole show with it. And so, you know, use those opportunities if you're going to use them for anything to uh, make us invest more in who is going to end up being our protagonist. Right. The fact that he is shadowing the night should lead to something bigger and not just the fact that he's a de facto leader because the knight got killed at the end of the teaser. It's more so we can see things in that teaser that can pay off later, even in that small moment at the end when he faints instead of gaining courage or something like that. There's ways of using, of sort of having that setup in the teaser that pays off at the end of the teaser or even later. And those are the elements, the moments that you can use in lieu of the creatures or in addition to the creatures. So it's sort of a plug and play situation there. In terms of some of the humor and the content, I, I think that the jokes were a little hit or miss for me. I think sometimes there was some really funny stuff in there. Other times it felt a little bit flat, so you can always tighten and punch up. There, especially, you know, in a, in a comedy, you really want all of your best stuff to just be laugh, 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 page after page in the teaser. And then just yeah. in terms of especially the dryads, honestly, some of the like sexualized stuff felt a little bit dated to me. It felt like the kind of stuff that you might do in a comedy in the 80s or 90s or whatever, but I don't know if that necessarily flies today anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is the very thing that I brought up at the beginning of my comments, just the fact that the dryads are both passive creatures and sex objects to me is a big red flag. Overall, the humor to me was hit or miss in the sense that I'm personally not big into crass humor. So I feel like that's going to be dependent on obviously your reader. Uh, it kind of reminded me a bit of like an R-rated Shrek in a way that I feel like there's elements there that could be played with. But overall, I just feel like some of the humor wasn't working for me outside of the little sort of character building moments. But in terms of the crassy humor, the drives being sex objects, that was not something I was super invested in beyond what I was reading. All right. Well, we don't have any particular micro notes here. So let's skip over to uh, what would make us want to read on here versus not. Yeah. I mean, to me, it again comes down to making the world building better in the context of what is the purpose of that within the teaser. That's one part. The other part is sort of the fact that because it is that long walk for a short drink of water, why are we following Ryan through these adventures? with the squire if the squire is not more active and there is not more purpose given to him as a character in those immediate moments. I feel like there's ways of setting things up and paying them off either in the teaser or later on and just having that world building be more active with the characters. And again, I would also look at some of those characters like the drives that may be seen as sex objects and not sort of like three-dimensional creatures. Yeah. And so like I said before, I think putting us more on the side of Simon and giving us a reason to want to engage with him and keep watching watching him after his master has died would help towards when he's making us want to read on. And then also just even perhaps the way that you are framing this entire battle or whatever could have some extra threads leading into the rest of the story. Is this step 
two on an epic quest to save the kingdom or whatever, and now Simon has to jump in and take over from his master? Or does he have to pretend to be his master to other people because they have some big tournament coming up? Whatever it happens to be, I think that you can engineer the situation such that we're not just sort of there with a blank slate after he's dead and, you know, assuming, I guess, that he's going to take over his role, but not really knowing. You know, if you put the things around it so that there's this sense of immense pressure that Simon now must finish this quest or now must become who his former master was, then I think that it's going to make it a lot more of a, a momentum push into the rest of the show. Yeah, there is the opportunity at the end of the teaser to have either a subsequent scene or something to the idea of what is the show now that the knight is dead, especially because as it stands, the squire faints at the end of the scene. And so even though you have sort of this funny beat where the golem just shrugs and walks away, you can still have a moment where we understand who this squire is as a character. Because even though we spend this entire teaser with Ryan, Ryan dies at the end. And even though we spent some of it with the squire, the squire isn't well-defined as a character enough to really warrant that momentum building past the teaser. All right, and last but not least, we have Strange California by Ben Warner. In 1865, in rural California, a father, Thomas, and his son, Robert, herd cattle back into an enclosure on their ranch for the night. Later that evening, they hear a piercing screech from the cattle corral. Robert hands his son a pistol and grabs his rifle to go investigate. He hears the sound of a cow being ripped apart and eaten and sees a small dragon doing the deed. He takes a shot with his rifle, misses. It comes at him fast and he shoots again, this time hitting, but not killing it. It leaps on him and starts to attack only to have its skull pumped full of bullets by his son who has come to the rescue. Surprisingly unfazed, Thomas explains it was a dragon and his son also acts like this is completely normal. The only strange thing to them is that a western diamond ridge dragon usually would not come this far south. They usually live in the mountains, feeding on rock trawls and the like. They realized that this was in fact a juvenile dragon, and if this is a baby, well, another screech pierces the air and a flapping of wings blocks out the moon. Thomas sends his son running to the house while he stays back to hold off the adult dragon. A battle ensues and Robert peers out at the window for any sign of his dad only to have his dad's mutilated corpse flung into the window, splattering it with blood. Robert collapses to the floor in tears, clutching his father's pistol. What did you think of Strange California? This is super cool. I, I really like this. I think it was very original, a fresh mashup of like genres, the you know supernatural Western. It's cowboys versus dragons. Like, how can you not be interested in that? You know, I could see something like this being on TV or film right now, and it really made me want to read the rest of the script. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that teaser as well. It uh, brought me back to Reign of Fire, which I don't think, uh, yes. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's like this great movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale from eons ago now. But it, it was sort of this like, blending of genres where you have this like fantasy element but it's grounded in the realism of in this case like the western frontier which is super cool i personally like both the concept and the execution which is uh, you know high compliment at least coming from me i will also say that this is an example of since we were speaking about things that are unclear and tightening things and so forth this is a great example of indicating subtly within the prose and the dialogue to the audience and the reader that in this case dragons are perfectly normal they're just another thing in the world for example it says thomas says casually 
dragons. And then we have, rather than surprise, Robin's voice only betrays a slight frustration with his father. I know, Pa, I wasn't born yesterday, but what kind of dragon? And so that furthers the conversation while indicating to the reader that, hey, this is actually completely normal. It's just a run-of-the-mill dragon. You know, like, uh, we all know how it is, right? Every uh, Wednesday, there's a dragon that shows up. Oh, yeah. So just indicating in that level on the prose and the dialogue what's going on and normalizing the situation in a very clear way is a good thing in this case. Yeah, I think this was one of the real strengths of the teaser was that the writer kind of demonstrates a lot of uh, understanding of like nuance in the craft of writing by you know introducing these things in a subtle way you know the world building about the dragons without having to throw exposition at us about it because it's in the characters reactions rather than them explaining to the audience dragons are normal you know <laughs> that kind of thing and even just some of the ways that he crafts the action you know building the tension you know well we've dealt with the baby dragon that's all we can ex- oh no it's the mother dragon you know i mean that's a bit of a trope but i think it was executed so well that i didn't care and you know they got the kid running back like just especially as well putting us in the pov of different people at the right times mostly the kid really helped to amp up that tension that's what you're talking about earlier you know when you once you put someone in a particular pov it really helps escalate the emotion absolutely and they kind of remind me a little bit of those war movies where you go from one character to the next character to the next character and then at one point we sort of follow the kid because at the top we were more with the dad side so just switching that pov in an organic way where we're living through those action sequences from the perspective of someone and just the horror of it at the end of the day the the fact that the kid is hiding in the house and he's waiting and we're seeing through his point of view whereas my dad was my dad and then you see the body sort of flung against the window that horrific moment and we land on robert the kid collapsing in tears with his father's pistol i feel like the emotion delivered there because we built all that bond even though it was only a couple of pages you can definitely feel that bond in the script because in part those scenes were written through the perspective of those characters yeah i think it's a much cooler way in on a practical level a much more cost-effective way than staying with the father battling this dragon and seeing him get ripped in half in a, a full wide shot of that happening you know and it puts us emotionally into this kid and to me that helps give us a sense of momentum moving forward that we are going to be following this kid from now on, whether he's grown up or otherwise. Any micro notes on the page here? Yeah, just a couple of things on the dialogue front. I feel like at the top, when we first hear the interaction between Thomas and Robert, I felt like that dialogue was a bit, I don't know if on the nose is the term, but a bit too slangy for even the era. I feel like there's ways of uh, uh, nuancing some of what they say. Uh, and also because the teaser seems to be ending on the seventh page with the paragraph, I also feel like on page one, you can definitely tighten it a little bit where we don't need so much visual descriptions of what's going on. I feel like we could arguably start on page two with uh, Thomas and Robert without sort of having the Vista and all those different elements. Or if you do want those Vista components, you can still tighten it so that it fits within six or five pages. Yeah, I agreed on the, the dialogue there too. It did feel a little bit too hokey at times. So I think you can kind of like normalize that back down to what we'd expect in a TV dialogue version of the Old West. And what makes us want to read on versus not? Yeah, I think that this teaser does a really good job of making me want to read on. And it's interesting, too, because it does end in kind of a resolved way where the father is dead and the kid is there. And we don't necessarily know what's going to happen next, but we've been so entertained the whole way along. And there's an implicit understanding that, in a way, the torch has now been passed on from the father to the son, that we kind of understand emotionally what's going to happen next, even if we don't understand at a story level, whether we're cutting ahead 20 years or whether this kid's going to find the rest of his family or whatever happens to be. It 
makes me interested to read on regardless. Absolutely. I mean, a teaser needs to tease the audience. It needs to excite the reader into being involved in the story, the characters, the world. And this teaser, I really feel like delivers on all three potentially. The fact that the world building is done in a subtle way and also indicating to the reader that, oh, this is a world with dragons without it being sort of in your face, while at the same time, putting us in the shoes of these characters dealing with the horror of the situation and everything uh, escalating to the point where the dad gets killed and we stay on the emotion of the kid holding his pistol. I feel like all that delivers emotionally and on a character level. And like you said, even if the story were to jump 20 years, I would not mind that because we have probably the defining moment of this child's life. And now we understand, even if we are jumping 20, 50 years or whatever, we are understanding the emotion of this character and we can still follow their trauma, which hopefully in the teaser or rather the full pilot is going to pay off emotionally. We have a base for that character and that story in that world. Yeah. My best guess or hope is that this kid's going to grow up and uh, become a monster hunter or a dragon hunter. So I think that'd be pretty sweet. I thought you were going to give a joke about running for president or something. Maybe that too. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. On that note, Note, if you want to send your own paper tease uh, or to uh, get feedback on one of our sessions, you can do that at paperteam.co slash teaser. That's T-E-A-S-E-R. As always, that's eight pages or less, uh, any format, any genre, as long as they are TV pilot teasers, not features. That's right. And as we mentioned at the top, we will be doing something special for one particular teaser that we really like this year. We'll be more details down the road as to what exactly that will be and who will be chosen. Stay tuned for that. And on that note, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You will get access to our Paper Patreon podcast, Cheat Sheets. And there's also a dedicated Paper Tea slot, as we mentioned earlier, for our Patreon supporters. So you can get on that at paperteam.co slash Patreon. And so we can keep producing a great show for you like this one every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes and teasers for this episode at paperteam.co slash 173. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be talking to James Hamilton, who is currently a head writer for an unannounced Netflix animated series. Before that, he wrote for uh, The Amazing World of Gumball and a bunch of other great animation, as well as performing in a sketch troupe in the UK for a long time. So uh, tune in then. It's a really great app. Absolutely. See you next week. See you then.